beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing. There is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make sense. Hi everyone. I am excited to introduce Lihandra to you. As you will hear from the podcast, we have known each other for a very long time, but only recently reconnected via a mutual friend. It was during a coffee date about a year ago that I became aware of Lihandra's profound sense of spirituality and am happy to have a year to hear what her journey was like. I trust that you will enjoy this with me. Hey Lihandra, how are you doing? I'm fine, thank you, Freddie, and you? I'm well, thank you very much. Thank you very much for doing this for me. I really appreciate it. Lihandra, we have come a long way in a very strange way, actually, haven't we? So I met Lihandra when I went to high school. She was a year ahead of me. And through another friend, I kind of slotted in with your group. And then we started partying together. You were one of the girls who taught me to dance. Can you remember that? Really? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I'm not surprised. I used to love dancing. Well, I love dancing. I used to. I I can't see myself doing it. (laughs) I feel like a complete idiot now. (laughs) Yeah, so you were one of the ones that taught me to dance. And did we have loads of parties? (laughs) (laughs) Every weekend, at least one. True. Absolutely, yes. Party animals. And you were, what I remember from you at school, you were... How can I put it? You were lovely and friendly, quite an academic. Yes, I was actually, I was, I was a dra- jack of all trades, actually. Yeah, because you, you also played hockey. I did, I, I, I was the hurdles girl yes. ahead of you. The I, hurdles girl the ahead hurdles of you. <laughs> well, one year, <laughs> not running ahead of you. I would have preferred the hurdles person ahead of you. <laughs> Girl, yes, any any uh, mutual friend was the boy. Yeah, yeah, I played uh, hurdle uh, athletics really and tennis, and I was I loved school and academics. I still my children can't understand it when I say to them, "Yeah, (laughs) I wish you could see my frown now." (laughs) (laughs) What? My kids don't understand. I get so excited when it's exams. I just love (laughs) it. challenge of excelling in academics it was like a personal goal that I set for myself and yeah and culturally I was sort of very much an all-rounder at school and I think that's how we kind of connected because we were always kind of doing the same type of thing yes so and and that was awesome Uh, yeah I can't recall ever ever having had a conversation with you about any sense of your belief system, your spirituality, or anything like that. We were in a Christian national education system, so were you part of that vibe? Did you grow up in church and with Christianity, or what was your background in that regard? Yeah, a Dutch ref- typical Dutch Reformed background. I was quite active in the youth groups and things at church, confirmation at 16, and then after school at university, I used to occasionally still go to church. I wasn't very fond of going to church ever, actually. No, um, so the moment I got away from my parents, I, <laughs> <laughs> I sort of didn't, didn't go to church that much. But I had times in my early 20s where I was very much drawn to church and religion. I somehow understood it as the only way of living 
up my spirituality at the times. I then started experimenting with going to more charismatic churches okay. and that. But then I got married at a very young age and I went to live in Plettenberg Bay. And my mom came to live in, in Plett not long after that. And she used to drag me off to the Methodist church whenever she went. She was quite a, a churchgoer. Was your mom Afrikaans? Yeah. Okay, so why did you go to Methodist church? Because she was married to an English-speaking okay. person. Yeah, so I've always had a profound interest in spirituality, but I wasn't very fond of religion. Last night I shared at an NA meeting on spiritual journeys. I was asked by a friend. Something that, that I'll never forget was, before an athletics meeting, I was always so, so nervous. I was frantic. And my mother would always say, oh, it's okay, my child, just pray. Mm. And I used to say to her, but mom, all seven other athletes are also praying. Yeah, <laughs> I, I always think about that. Yeah. Why, why, why would God bestow kind of me with the grace of winning or whatever it was that I wanted? Uh, no, no, maybe it um, takes turns. Or... Yeah, <laughs> it was. and my mother got so angry with me that how could you, how could you have such a lack of belief? And for me, that was the lack of belief. It was reality. Yeah. <laughs> all seven those guys might be having the same conversation <laughs> with their mother at the moment. Exactly. So for me, it was always a good thing of, why me? Why, why would I get it? Yeah, <laughs> so, I know exactly what So maybe saying. it was just because I was such a shell, extremely selfish, but I, I wanted my own God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, personal. <laughs> personal Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Not one who takes turns. I want to win every time. <laughs> As, as you know, I wanted that. Yeah. And did I not get it? I was very, very, very upset and angry. <laughs> so, so that was one thing that, that I remember. And looking back, it was, I just didn't have that type of unwavering faith. I, I, always, I always doubted. For me, it was more a, it was more of a matter of fairness. I desperately wanted to believe in the Jesus that I culturally grew up with. Yeah. Because I, f I suppose we all have a yearning to find some kind of comfort in some concrete spiritual form. Yeah. But to me, it never made sense, just from a purely fairness point of view, why God would favor some people over others. Why I still sort of see the Christian uh, religion as one that forces you to choose and the exclusion of others at the same time. So it never made sense to me why a little Buddhist baby would be condemned to eternal doom or hell yeah. or whatever just because it never had the opportunity to know Jesus and uh, to me, that just never made sense. So I thought, well, if that's the ultimate condition, then I cannot call myself a, a reborn Christian. Yeah. Christian I'll always be because that's the culture I grew up in. Yeah. That's the one I understand. So I just left it. I just left it at that. I um, never, I, it was just a decision that I made. I thought, you know what? If that's, it's not that I, re, I never rebelled against it. I wasn't anti it. I just sort of got on with my own life without paying too much attention to, okay. to that. Didn't feel like I lacked anything. I had a, a sort of a peace about my own spirituality. Okay. 
um, but it was only in my late 30s that I really developed a, a very direct relationship with God. Okay. How old um, were, you, were you when you got married? You said very I young. Was, I got married twice, actually. I got married once when I was 23, almost 24, to okay. a wonderful man, um, an artist who was much older than me. He was a wonderful mentor. In fact, through my association with him, I, I began a career in art dealing. I okay. became an art dealer. And uh, I had three... your dealer. <laughs> my dealer, <laughs> art dealer. <laughs> <laughs> I dealt in. <laughs> I had one of those, but he didn't. He didn't deal in art. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, this was quite innocent. Also, my problem <laughs> was I'm autistic, so I wanted to say take me to your leader, but I always ended up asking taking me take me to your dealer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the dyslexia. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So he was a wonderful mentor. Where did you meet him? Plettenberg Bay. Okay. Yeah, I was there on. Ho- I was actually on my way to America to go and live there, and I went there on holiday with my parents for, okay. for the last time now. Before <laughs> I, I went to changing uh, plans, wait, big stop change it. of plans, <laughs> cancel the visa. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just love it first sight. Are I you just, serious? Yeah, I oh, just ended awesome. up staying in, in uh, staying in Plettenberg Bay, and that's where he was based. And uh, um, yeah, I spent subsequently spent the next on and off the next twenty three years of my life living in and bringing up my kids there and everything. It was a fantastic... Um, it's a beautiful place. Oh, it oh, was I love just... It, as well. You don't get a more idyllic upbringing for children, beautiful mm. place to live, wonderful community, the most unbelievable. Um, I, I suppose that's why I still have a love for smaller places, small towns. It's that sense of community, of support. Okay. Yeah. Anyway... Yeah, so Mike and I got married. Uh, had very seven very happy years together. Um, I thought we were going to say seven children. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was the issue. We couldn't have children. And that's why we finally broke up okay. because he was just the most gracious person I've ever known. And when he realized that, to me, having children was really a life purpose thing. I couldn't imagine my life without children. You know, okay. some people can. And for me, it was just... And I still believe it's my major purpose in life is to to specifically these two children to be their mother he just said to me look i don't want to cost you your life go and we're still extremely close love each other to bits and pieces and always be there to support each other well it's very you know when you when you do have a breakup like that and you remain close it's because you want to not because you have to um it's very much a choice thing whereas you when when you have children and you break up with somebody, you might hate that person's guts. And sometimes it's better to just w- move away from a relationship Absolutely. that's destructive or negative in your life. And you can't if you have children. Yeah. So um, at least without the children, there's a, the choice aspect. Yeah. Um, I always seem to get along with my exes quite well. Mm-hmm. And I always kind of had a sense of pride in that because I always said it shows that I use the right criteria when I choose partners. So yes. even, even if I can't have them as a life partner or as a boyfriend, the characteristics they have are, are still awesome. So so it's still quite nice to have them in my life. That's ideal, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so, that's so wonderful. I always saw that as a kind of feather in so my So you don't paper. question your judgment? No, these were the boyfriends that I had. But generally, my choices of potential partners were stuffed. I once had a psychologist who said to me, you know, Freddie, um, actually, there's nothing wrong with the people you choose. It's just that you choose the wrong people. Uh, for you. For, for you. Yeah. 
<laughs> so move on from there. Yeah. <laughs> so while you're in Plet, a mom was there attending Methodist Church. Did you enjoy the Methodist Church? I did. You know what? I enjoy all um, sacred places. Okay. Um, I, I like. Go, I, even now, although I haven't been in a church for years and years and years, I sometimes think, oh, you know what, it'd be nice to go to church. Just to be in a sacred place yeah. where you can connect with spirit. I, I don't think it matters whether it's a church or maybe anyway, beautiful in nature next to a waterfall or a temple or a synagogue or any, yeah. anywhere where you can feel. And, and I suppose you do feel the presence of God in, in holy places. And th that particular church was, it was nice. It was a, it had a very good, nice people. I used to just like being there, but I like all, all holy mm. places. Yeah. There's an NA meeting in the Central Methodist Mission in Green Market, on Green Market Square in Cape Town. And it was one of the first meetings I started attending when I came out of rehab. And they were so welcoming. And the pastor was a young guy and he was awesome. And they were so nice to, to in a renting a room from them. You had to walk through the church and go upstairs through a small little room there where we met. And at stages we would open the, the door to the meeting room and there would be cake for us. Oh. Um, well, a whole table, they would be celebrating something and a whole table with snacks and cold drinks for us. It oh. was absolutely lovely. And I always thought that this is what, what I thought religion should feel like. Mm. I, I felt so good about the connection we had with them and also mm. that I wonder if I grew up with that type of welcoming feeling. Mm. I never really felt welcoming church mm -mm. As, a, as a child. I, I, I just didn't. I Did felt, you also grow up that reform? Yeah, yeah, I felt judged. Well, that's always what, when I try and explain to people because I've brought my children up extremely spiritual. I mean, those kids were meditating and doing yoga by the time they were three years old. Are you serious? Oh, I can tell you stories about my son, my, my son running off to his room with a, with a yellow, with an orange shawl over his shoulder saying, I have to go release my anger. And then I, then I used to, I used to walk into his bedroom and he'd be sitting on top of his bunk bed in a yogi pose with his little legs crossed with his orange shawl around him like a little monk with his serious? eyes closed. And he was very good at this releasing thing because <laughs> like five minutes later, he'd be back and he'd throw the shawl over and he'd say, I've released my anger. <laughs> and he'd go out and he'd play and he'd really be, he, he wouldn't be angry anymore. And it, that be is happy. so funny. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, judgment. Yeah. And, and when they ask me or, or when they have asked me in, in the past, you know, when they started going to school, people, they started realizing that people were going to church and they were talking about Jesus and the school that they went to was quite uh, religion-based and, and all that. And they started praying in class and talking about, you know, having uh, religious... Uh, education, education religious and studies stuff. or whatever. So they would come home and ask me about Jesus and church and why don't we, why we don't go to church and that and so on. And I started telling them about my own youth and my own experience with the church that I went to. And I don't believe that judgment has a place in religion. Yeah. I don't think that God is a God of judgment. Yeah. And in the church that I grew up, it was, I very much, like you say, I very much felt threatened yes. by God. <laughs> God very was, was, so, yeah. was very judgmental, yeah. the God that I knew. God decided whether you were going to heaven or to hell. God decided whether you were good or bad. And there was very, very 
little that you could actually do to ever be good enough. Yeah, something that I, I always questioned was somewhere in the Ten Commandments, isn't there in the, in the Afrikaans Bible something that says, at the year your God is a jaloerse God? Mm. And I always used to think, but he says he's jealous, but we taught not to be jealous, isn't jealousy not good? Yeah, <laughs> it's the most negative emotion. Yeah. And I could also not understand how you how you're supposed to fear God but love God. It's kind of, yeah, it, those two for me were mutually exclusive. I really had a problem, an intellectual problem with a lot of stuff that that we were taught. Well, that's that's what I meant earlier when I said when I actually thought about it, all these things. I just finally, when I had to like now make up my mind, am I now going to be a church-going Christian who does everything, give my heart to God and accept Jesus, my only Savior. That yeah. was the problem that I had, was the accepting of, the, of the, uh, the exclusivity thing and the price that I had to pay. And for me, it was an intellectual price. It was giving up common sense. Yeah. And I just couldn't do that. Okay. I couldn't authentically say, okay, you know what, I'm not going to ask questions anymore and I'm just going to do what they say. And you little Buddhist baby are going to go to hell <laughs> because you have not accepted Jesus as your only Savior, regardless of the fact that you've never heard of him. Yeah. It just it just didn't make sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And until today, I understand when my kids say to me, Mom, you know what, I'll listen to you as long as you make sense. <laughs> Do they do that? <laughs> they do that. <laughs> yeah, I, will, I will listen to you as long as you make sense. And I think that's fair enough. Yeah, that's, that's very fair. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got to find a way to make sense then. <laughs> There's your challenge. So how and where did you meet things like yoga and meditation and those type of things? Was that through the art scene in bed? No. or? No, Freddie, that's a very, very interesting story. And we need a whole day for this. Can but, we concise it? <laughs> you know what? I got married again after Mike. And um, I had my two children with uh, Barry. I went to live in Germany for six years. And so no wonder you disappeared off the radar. Anyway. Where I, did you meet Barry? I knew Barry since I was about 15. He's, oh, wow. he's an opera singer. And he used to sing with my brother. Okay. who's also a singer. And um, they were doing an opera, and uh, I went there with my mom one day backstage, and there he was. So I met him when I was about 15, and then we met up again later years, and fell in love, and got married, and had the two kiddies, and unfortunately that marriage didn't last, and I came back to South Africa. He stayed there. Okay. While I was living in Germany, he was doing an opera in a place called Heidesheim, and the director of the opera gave him some books by Sai Baba. I then subsequently, much many years later, at a very strange way that everything came together, he's a he's a, he was an Indian spiritual teacher. Um, I've heard of him. Yeah, and this guy was a follower of Sai Baba, and he gave Barry some books with basically just quotes from Sai Baba, beautiful spiritual stuff, like daily pieces that you can read. And strangely enough, Barry was a, a little bit into the into the things and he used to read some of them to me. And I thought, yeah, very nice, nice words. And that didn't have much of an impact on me at the time. And then when I moved back to South Africa, to Plettenberg Bay, I became involved 
that's really where my big interest in natural medicines came from. My, my daughter became very ill and I met up with a naturopath. And um, he w happened to be a follower of Sai Baba as well. Oh, wow. And, but I didn't make the connection at all at the time. And one day I had a storeroom in the, in my, off my house in, in Plet. I walked into this little storeroom. I was looking for something. And it was a big mess, like storerooms. <laughs> and as I lifted something up, this book fell on my foot. And I looked down and it was one of these Sai Baba books. And I bent down and I picked it up. And I took it into the house. I opened it and I started, it was in German. Now, I did German at school and at university and, never, and then lived in Germany for six years. This book was in German. I picked this book up and I started reading it from back to front and it just resonated oh, with whoa. me. This is now many, many years after I heard about it for the first time or saw the book for the first time. Then I find out that this naturopath friend of mine who was also like a mentor, he taught me everything I know about, well, most things. He really ignited the interest in natural medicine and alternative healing methods and everything in me. And... Coincidentally, well, at the time I thought, oh, this guy is also into Saibaba. So that was another thing we had in common and used to talk about it a lot. Because Saibaba was a Hindu, I suppose, I suddenly developed this profound interest in Eastern philosophies. Okay. And I started doing yoga, but I didn't even know I was doing yoga. This friend of mine, this a naturopath friend of mine, one, one night we were sitting, we made a fire at my house. We were sitting together and I started just stretching. I'm very cat-like since I was little. Now that I think about it, I was always stretching, doing back bends. But I do believe that there's something in me that goes way back. <laughs> and I don't know if it's got to do with past lives and I don't know what you, <laughs> what your thoughts on past lives and things are, but... He looked at me and he said, I don't know you do yoga. And I said, no, I'm not doing yoga. I'm just stretching. And he said to me, you are doing perfect advanced <laughs> yoga moves. I was almost 40 at the time. I was 37, 38 years old. And you are doing perfect yoga poses in perfect sequence. You've done this before. <laughs> and with the yoga, with meditation being part of yoga, I understood the entire yoga what it was all about. Yoga is not, not just about stretching. From the first time I sat down in meditation, I could literally meditate for 20 minutes oh, without wow. mind clutter. There was, a, there was a memory there of something that was, well, I couldn't compare it to anything. Yeah. But once I, once I started learning more about it and reading, I realized how difficult it was for some people and how they had to practice for years. I still struggle. Meditation to to doesn't come I actually just, I just understood. That's fantastic. To me, that was it. It was like the judgment God, um, the God of my youth disappeared for me then. And oh, I, okay. I, I felt free to, to have a completely new relationship with God. Not through religion, but through spirituality, a direct experience of spirituality. And for me, that came through the, through the Eastern way of I, so I finally had a practice through yoga and meditation that made sense to me. <laughs> Mom, if it makes sense. <laughs> God was speaking to me. I wasn't speaking to God like through prayer. I was, no. God was speaking to me and there was, it, was a, it became a two-way relationship. Yeah, from there on, my spirituality just grew and grew and grew. It's a and very you, personal thing. That's fantastic. Yeah. And did you actually teach the children or did they kind of just join in? Just osmosis. They saw what mom did and they copied it 
My kids grew <laughs> up with this very much um, an understanding of of spirit. They they never really understood <laughs> anything else. I used to speak about uh, past lives. I really do believe in mm. past lives. It just again it makes sense to me. The past life belief to me um, means that you've always got another chance. It it confirms to me that God is a forgiving God. Yeah. You always have a second chance. You always have another chance. You can't really screw up because your spirit keeps on evolving. You can keep on, like your book, You, you all you have to do is take the layers off. Yeah. And um, yeah, so... So yeah, they they did grow up in a sort of unconventional, in a, with an unconventional. They grew up with meditation. Anyway, it gave me an opportunity from a very young age to teach them about tolerance. That you know we live in a world with lots of different things. I've always given them the freedom to go to church if they want to. They just don't like it. They like like I like I used to be as a kid. They get bored because of my slightly different way of, yeah. of dealing with spirituality, I've had to teach them about tolerance from a young age, that it's about tolerance, it's, you know, non-judgment kind of thing. Was it also that period when you came back to plate and starting meditating and yoga that you also stopped eating meat? Yes, it all came together. Okay. Um, it is somehow now uh, I've gone through another cycle like that. I'm, it's almost like I'm back in that same same place now, but this is now the second time that 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 I've gone back to that place, and I just simply go off meat. It doesn't, it physically, it doesn't feel right. Um, it's almost like your body changes yeah. in a way when you start doing yoga. You want to feel lighter. You um, it's almost like the your body becomes light in in more than one sense, like light and light. Yeah. And the density of meat just somehow doesn't agree with a lifestyle like that. It's really interesting what you're saying because I always say once I've done yoga, I feel as if my joints are breathing. Yes. <laughs> and I think that's that lightness feeling that that you're talking about. You know, when I meditate, I and when I do yoga, it, it has a lot to do with breathing, and somehow I work energetically with light. To me, um, it's quickest way of bringing myself into that meditative state is to fill my physical body with light. Okay, it sort of helps to clear the clutter out so that the energy can flow, and somehow. I don't know if it's got something to do with that. Once you start filling your, your physical body and your astral body with, with light, it's almost like the energy of meat doesn't go, no. go with it. I can understand what you're saying because meat does make one feel full. You know, and when I started eating meat up, again, that, that, that it does make you If you don't eat a lot of... Even if you don't stop meat, eating meat, if you eat less meat and you suddenly you start eating meat, it literally feels like you've swallowed a stone. <laughs> <laughs> you feel like an ostrich. <laughs> yeah, you feel the same. Exactly. <laughs> few, few stones in your belly. <laughs> it feels like you've swallowed a rock. And this yeah. rock now somehow has to digest. Another thing, alcohol, for instance, and yoga, don't... You, if I had a, as much as a beer or a glass of wine before yoga, the next morning, I could literally feel that my muscles couldn't stretch. The acid... The acidity mm. from the meat or from the alcohol or from anything that causes acid, even coffee, doesn't go, doesn't go with a yogi lifestyle. Amazing. So it's a, it's a combination of things. And 
you know yoga is not only about the stretching it's about the breathing it's about the meditation it's about it's about the the, the poses but it's also about embracing the philosophy and the one of a, a very big no-no in yoga is is a violence lifestyle and eating meat it doesn't matter how consciously you do it there is an aspect of violence yeah. connected so somehow if you get into the philosophy of yoga um, into the lifestyle of yoga it, it, that's another aspect the it's a very loving way to live. It's all about love. It's all mm. about opening your heart. It's all about service. It's all about embracing. It's all about these very light being practices. Yeah. And um, violence doesn't feature. Um, so non-violence is a very big, big aspect of yoga. So when you get into a yoga lifestyle, there's no space for acts of violence, whether it's verbal or thoughts or... And then eating meat just becomes a no-no. Yeah. Um, okay, that makes a lot of sense. And it's not difficult. Um, it was never really a conscious thing. It's just, you get to a point where it just, it just doesn't make sense mm. anymore. And it doesn't feel right. A new big thing happened in your life. And you, you swapped the business world for the healing world. Yes. What happened? How did that happen? What happened? What, what are you doing now? I'm a health coach studying nutrition and I'm a qualified body health care practitioner. Where, awesome. So I specialize basically, that's my area of uh, interest in detoxification through um, nutrition and then these uh, therapies that I've learned uh, through the courses that I did, uh, like colonic cleanses, uh, manual, not the colonic irrigation that, uh, that um, okay. It's also a therapy. Um, <laughs> Kalonic cleans manual. Manual. <laughs> manual. A lot of people look, um, look at me with desperate eyes when I talk about Kalonic. No. Yeah. no. I think I saw a video like that once. <laughs> I've done it. I've done it. It's very effective. Um, I've got my reservations about it, though. Okay. I, I see it as a last resort thing. I would rather try other things first before okay. that. But it is very effective. So manual lymph drainage and uh, reflexology, everything that helps uh, basically aid your digestive system. Uh, The digestive system to me is just the most amazing thing because I believe it's the seat of just about every modern day disease, uh, including depression, addictions, illnesses with mental roots. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's my area of expertise. But it's always been an interest of mine actually thinking about it. I'm very glad that it the sounds like a natural progression type oh, of Oh yeah, no, no, I've always been I've all my mom actually in the early seventies um was into alternative health already. Okay. In the days wow, when that must have been was only she must the, have been called a hippie. Exactly. <laughs> no, my mom was everything but a hippie. I think she was a pseudo hippie. That's basically how I grew up with a mom like that in the heyday of antibiotics. Yeah. I mean, in the early 70s, antibiotics was still the magic thing. It was only about 20 years yeah. after it was discovered. So it was before people realized how harmful it was. My mom just happened to be somebody who believed in the alternative way. So I actually grew up with that. And then when I went to live in Plate in my early 20s, I was very much into health foods, eating healthily. At that time, it was I remember it was the... Fit for life craze. Oh, yes. I did fit for life at some stage as well. Life. Did me wonderfully. Fantastic. I still believe in, in their way of um, food, what it, separating the food yeah. groups um, as, 
You need distri- distributing your food in, in categories. You yes. could basically eat everything, just eat them at the right yeah, time. Yeah, I still believe I in that yeah. because of the whole idea of uh, d- different uh, digestive juices yeah. for different food groups and stuff. Um, I believe that's one of the reasons why I haven't put on any weight. Because you look amazing. Thank so you. At this stage now, do you still exercise? Yes. Do you still do yoga, meditate? Yes. I, I do. I, do. I go to gym because I'm older now and I, I, I believe I need to do some strength training. Okay. And um, I can also feel my body. You know, 10 years ago, I was still carrying kids around in my arms and picking them up. <laughs> I want to see you carrying your son <laughs> around. <laughs> no, not now, thank you. He carries me. He does squats with me over his head. <laughs> he can do 10, 10, 12 like full deep squats with me on his shoulders. Are you serious? And I weigh 60 kilograms. Yeah. No, Am I weird? And then he could still... I'm the one who eventually goes, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. Please stop. <laughs> no, so I definitely can't carry him around anymore. <laughs> but I do feel that one needs to... You need to pay more attention to flexibility and strength as you get older. Um, so I do go to gym. I'm actually inherently quite a lazy person. Who's not? <laughs> <laughs> People who kind of seem as if they're not. It just kind of doesn't seem natural. I'm not very disciplined. I spend a lot of time convincing myself why I shouldn't exercise. Debating, debating, yes. oh, <laughs> negotiating. And I'm self-motivated, which makes it very difficult. I don't like doing yoga in, in, a, in a group setting. Um, I've always done yoga on my own okay. since day one. I, I'm self-taught. I do yoga as a prepping for meditation. Okay. Um, I find that the poses opens up my chakras, my okay. energy centers, so that when I meditate, I can get into the meditative space very quickly and very deeply without having to sit there for 15 minutes and stilling the monkey mind. Yeah. <laughs> so I do yoga both for physical reasons and for to prepare myself for meditation. For me, jogging is like that. I don't want to jog with anybody. You know, oh, we have to go for a jog sometime. Yo, no, join a group. No, 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 no. Really? For, for, for me, this is... It's my thing. It, I'm meditative yes. as well. So I don't want to... Det- and also, <laughs> it's meditative. And frankly, I can't talk while I run. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Unlike other people who do jolly run. Make small talk. Run. Yeah. yeah. Look, God, I'm suffering, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm starting I can to, breathe. I'm starting to breathe. I'm trying to breathe here. <laughs> the other last question, second last question. So as you sit here today, how would you define your spirituality how would i define my spirituality for me i suppose like we just like i just said my yoga is my spiritual practice and very unique and one-on-one that's how i perceive my relationship with spirit awesome to be it's i I don't have the desire to practice it in a group setting in fact i have feel a bit of a disconnection the moment i'm in a group i become self-conscious i feel prescribed like there's a certain there's something i should be doing so i've very much come to peace with it you know until long ago i still had the question but obviously i want to go to heaven one day whatever that is i want to i hope i'm not making a mistake (laughs) because the way the things that we are taught when we were young, they stick with us. Yeah. And it, 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 it takes a lot of courage to to break away from, from it. In my case, it wasn't a rebellious breakaway. It was just a, a real desire to be authentic in, 
in my being. And it's taken me 50 years to become authentic within myself. Yeah. And to stand in integrity with yourself. With That's myself. Awesome. Yeah. And my relationship with God is in that space. It's just me and God. Awesome. So it's, a, it's the most important thing in my life. There is nothing more important. And it, it, it truly just feels right to me now. And that's the kind of relationship we want to have with God. Absolutely. Very nicely said. A yeah. non-fear-based, open understanding what unconditional love is. You can go to God with absolutely anything. You are loved for whom you are. You are loved for the fallible person that you are. You celebrate the fact that you make mistakes and that it's an opportunity. You don't have to be ashamed of yeah. being human. And that's the kind of relationship I try to have with my children. And That's wonderful. That I would like for them to have with God. Yeah. Because that's, oh, that's how beautiful. I have. Uh, that's my relationship with that's God. That's fantastic. Yeah. Last question. Yes. I ask this to everybody. Are you happy? I am extremely happy. <laughs> <laughs> From an um, very uncertain to a very, well, very... <laughs> you know, I don't think that everybody's happy in all it's aspects. It's something we actually don't question ourselves with. And that's why I asked that. Kind of, let's think about it. Am I happy? You know what? I'm, I'm extremely happy. I that's really, I have days where I have so much bliss that... <laughs> <laughs> that I'm so blissed out that I honestly know what it feels like to live in complete awareness. Where I'm. It sounds like something that, that we would call in recovery serenity. Total serenity. Yeah. Oh my God, that is the ultimate space Total of bliss. That's what I mean, I that, what towards. they talk about is that state that you want to achieve through meditation or maybe one day when you leave your body and you can just be a spirit. That I, I have entire days where I live, where I'm actually in that zone. Oh my word. No, Freddie, I promise you where I know what it's like to be in complete, a complete state of bliss. Where all that comes, that all that I experience is just gratitude. It feels like it's like pouring out of me. And you know that place of gratitude. When you're in a space of gratitude, it's just like Absolutely. the spirit just flows through you. So, what? you know, for, for me... If, to have achieved that that place to just once in your life, maybe just for one day in your life, once you know what it feels like, accept the bad days as yeah. well because you know what, what it feels like. So you always aspire to that place. And I don't see that's that's being in a state of place of abundance, like that's living a, yeah. a, a life of abundance, spiritual abundance. So sure there are areas in my life where abundance doesn't always flow. And some days my ego mind will will become petulant and say, I want this and I want that. And, but I know what it feels like to, to be in a state of yeah, bliss. And it's got nothing wonderful. to do with what you have. There's always areas in your life that can improve. Like in my case, my finances. or <laughs> There'll always be something, you know what I mean? Um, but the, 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 things in, the things that really bring us true bliss are not the external things yeah. it's that it's an internal uh it's a it's a state of presence and it sounds absolutely amazing. and i have the ability through my spiritual practices and because i understand these things where i can bring myself into a place of presence 
So, yeah, to me, that's happiness. That's wonderful. And one, one can't possibly be there all the time. <laughs> because life... I'm an addict. I, I always want more. <laughs> exactly. And the <laughs> mind <laughs> takes over and it starts telling you about all these things that you don't have and you get caught up in that. Yeah. But as long as you can bring yourself back into that place of presence, even if it's just for a few seconds a day, Absolutely. to me, that's happiness. Have you ever heard the saying that ego stands for edging God out? No. Mm. And, uh, and, and, and that's exactly. exactly what you said. That's exactly, exactly what you said now. Exactly. Yeah. It's a choice you make. You might not be aware of the choice you're making, you know, but I do believe in, in mind controlling the, that the mind definitely creates our, our emotions and our emotions yeah. create our reality. Absolutely. So if you can master mind control, then yes, then you can be happy all the time. Yeah. Because then you rea- realize that everything is external. And true happiness has really got nothing to do with what we think or what's happening in our lives. It's really very simple. That is such a lovely message. Thank you so, so much for coming through. I really appreciate it. And so does Tyson. <laughs> like Tyson, you were quiet for Tyson such a long Tyson is my time. cat who's been with us in the room that I've been trying to keep quiet the whole time. <laughs> Not easy. He's so but, cute. Yeah, but thank you very, very much. Pleasure. It was such a lovely chat. Yeah. Thank you so Thank you, Freddie. So I really Thanks. appreciate it. it. Nice thank you so much. Thank you. I really enjoyed my chat with Leandra. I do feel the need to clarify some things that came up during the conversation, though. I said that I was autistic when I made the joke about the dealer versus leader. I obviously meant dyslectic. I made some references to the Bible in Afrikaans. A loose English translation of Ek die God is a jaloerse God is I, your God, is a jealous God. At some stage, Lehandra referred to my book. What she is referring to is my exciting project of having written a 12-step guide for all addictions, which allows the user to work through the 12 steps in 21 days. The printers are busy with it now and it should be available soon. Watch my website for details. My cat Tyson was in the room with us while we chatted, sleeping quietly on the couch. At around 36 minutes, you will hear some giggling. That was when he woke up and started loudly demanding our attention. I apologize if you can hear him in the background and if it is a disturbance. If you want to know more about what I do, please feel free to connect with me on my website, which is www.freddy.org.za, or find me on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash freddy.org.za forward slash or on Twitter at at Rendsburg Freddy. Remember that Freddy is always spelt with an IE at the end. Be safe. Bye-bye.